This is Father Michael Dank with the Prodigal Father, and I'm very pleased to introduce you all to Monsignor Esif. Monsignor, could you introduce yourself to us and tell us a little bit about your background? My name is Monsignor John Esif. I am 88 years old. As a priest, I've been ordained 63 years, and next May I'll be 64 years as a priest. I was born in 1928. And I was just so happy to be, have been baptized on the day I was born. My grandfather was a married deacon. And so when I was born, he came to my mother and said, what did you have? And she said, I had a baby boy. And he said, what are you going to call him? There was a big discussion about my name. But my name eventually was John. I should have been named, because of my tradition, George. George was the name of my grandfather, and I was the first son, and my father was the first son, so I should have been named after my grandfather. But my father insisted that my name be George. My brother eventually got that name. So I'm really proud of that name. I am John. Esif, born that day, baptized on that day, and so wonderful to have been, at that time, presented to the Lord in baptism. My parents took me down and had me baptized at a Maronite church. The Maronites are a very powerful Eastern Rite group of Catholics, and so my family was introduced into that right, right after almost one of the earliest rites in Christendom. And so they're very proud of that. So I was into that tradition, baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The day I was born, I was born on June the 13th, 1928, and I was presented to the priest, Father Corey, who baptized me in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Sad to say that no one ever told me the significance of baptism for many years. I, I was very much involved in the church from the moment I was born. I knew that I always wanted to be a priest. I really did. At three years old, I remember a lady across the street from us, Eleanor Novak, said to me, very clear memory of the incident. What are you going to be when you grow up, John? No one ever asked me, but I had already thought about it a long time. I was only three. I'm going to be a priest. And when she laughed, I thought, well, she doesn't think I really thought about this. But I had thought about it. I'm three, and I know the experiences I had already with the Almighty. The Almighty was already in me. I'll never forget so many incidents of God in my life. 
You know, little children, if you're listening to this, the Almighty is in your life. You don't have to be big. You can just be little. But oh, God was in my life. And I, I remember seeing God make the world. I remember all kinds of things from very early on. Early, early memories of God. Because he's my father. Yeah. What what did you see when you were oh, little? Many things. I saw God once making the world. And I, I remember waiting to try and find someone who would tell me about that. When I was just three years old, I saw God making the world. Uh, I was on my grandfather's farm. And when I looked out the window, this creation was taking place. I saw God making the world. And I know, I put my little elbows up on the on the, the window, and I was looking up, and he said, oh my God, look at this. So I ran and woke my brother up. He was just two. I said, George, look what God is doing. And he came to the window, and he, he said, what the heck did you wake me up for? So I ran downstairs, and I said to my grandmother, Grandma, look what God is doing. She didn't see it. She said, come on and have breakfast. They didn't. I saw God making, but no one takes the memory of a child away. <laughs> it was there. And I remember trying to tell different people throughout my life what I saw there. So I remember this high school teacher I had. I said, here's what I saw. She couldn't tell me. But then Doc Harvey, he was a Sulpician and a doctor of philosophy. Oh, he said, he was from Kentucky. He was a Sulpician and he taught me philosophy at St. Mary's in Baltimore. He said, oh yeah, here's what you saw. And he pointed right to the chapter and the verse of St. Thomas Aquinas in the Summa Theologica. It was God creating the world. It was being and becoming. That's what I saw. I saw the becoming at three. Oh my goodness. And when I read it, that's exactly what I saw. What St. Thomas described in the Summa Theologica I saw three. Everyone has an openness to God. And God can reveal anything to anyone that he wants to. So I, I remember, yeah, exactly what I saw. <laughs> he described it to me. Wanted to reveal to me. I've had many experiences. At the age of five, Maybe five and a half. I was walking with my friend Bobby Tippett, and he was telling me, and this was just, I remember this so clearly. He said, he was, he's lived next door to us in, in 113 Prospect Street. He said, you know, my father made that house. And I said, 
very, very clearly. My father made that mountain. And I knew that God made that mountain. I think he thought I was nuts, but I really knew my father. And I lived in Wilkesbury there, and there used to be this mountain that I would look at, and God made the mountain. Because every day I would see my God, who made the trees, and he made, these, used, these seeds used to fall from the trees. And, oh God, you made these seeds. Oh God, you made those trees. Oh God, you made this. I saw my father every day as a child. Then I was educated away. It was terrible. My, my family destroyed me. They, they destroyed me with uh, corruption because there was pus. I didn't know that I was Jesus seeing these things as my father was revealing. My Aunt Sarah told me that Protestants were going to hell. Oh, I believed it. Too bad. Too bad. I, I, I made such bad, terrible mistakes. I became corrupted. The corruption of the world around me. And it was worse. And racism. Blacks and whites. And all kinds of divisions. And the church was corrupt. The church didn't teach me a blessed thing about the unity of Jesus. And one time in 1948, Pius XII wrote Mr. Corporis, and I went to Catholic University in 1949 and five of us seminarians sat down and we read Mr. G. Corporis. And as I read it, you know, of St. Paul, we are one body, we are one Christ, that we are the body of Christ, that the whole world was in corruption and only one came into the world, Jesus, to save the world. Nobody ever taught me that. No priest ever said that from a pulpit. That God came down from heaven and took the earth. He became man. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I learned that from Pius Twelve, And as I read that, I thought, Oh my goodness, I am the body of Christ. All those years, I was so messed up. So my eyes were open to the truth. And then I thought, oh my goodness, I am Jesus in the, in the church today. That it's not the past that's going to save the world. I, he's in me. I, for the first time, awaken to Christ living in the world today through me. I thought, my parents never told me that. So I ran home 
at Christmas time, and I couldn't wait till I got there. I said, Dad, do you know who you are? Mom, I had to save my parents. And I kept after them because they were as dull at this truth as I was. And I kept knocking and hammering at their door. You are Christ in the world. That's who you are. You are Jesus. I, I think my dad thought I was a nut for a while, so did my mother. But they gradually came around. They were sweet. They were, they loved me. They loved me as a body of, in this world. But then they began to see the truth of what I was saying. And their eyes were being opened. And it happened that when I, especially my sister died, and a lot of things began to suffer in their lives as their eyes became open to prayer, to the truth, to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit being in us, that we are the first tabernacle. Wow. When, you know, I, I believe that they are good people, but they didn't realize, Dad, you are Jesus. Mom, you are Jesus. You are Christ in the world. You know, I read to them Ephesians, you know, in that fifth chapter, the body of Christ in marriage, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters. I read it to my two sisters, my two brothers, and to the extent we could, we became educated in the church. And, you know, I got ordained in 1953. Probably my most important story is my mother, who helped me understand what I had said to her. She said back to me in her experience of Jesus, because Jesus came to her in a rising vision one day. Before my ordination, I had come and I said, Mom, how is my ordination thing going? She said, I have to tell you this story. And she told this till the day she died. I saw Jesus come to me because I had begged him. I wanted to love him more. And he came to me in a rising vision. And I first saw his pierced feet. Then I saw his flowing white robe. And he held out to me his pierced hands. And then I saw his sacred heart. And as this vision rose, I saw his strong arms and shoulders. Then I saw your father's face. What does this mean? And I said, Mom, perfect answer to your prayer. How can I love you more? Love your husband. How in marriage love is between husband and wife? You are so close to me. This is how intimately you are to me. I love you so much. You see him. I love you. Joe is your husband. And these children of yours aren't as dear as your husband. Love him first. And when you love him, you're going to teach them. Well, I don't know how good a job she did with that. But I do know we have an awful lot of married people 
don't know that. She saw Jesus, but she saw the face of her husband. Yes. That's what she saw as in, in answer to her prayer. And it was, it was, and she, till the day she died, she said, that's what she saw. What was her prayer? I want to love you more. Please, Lord, let me love you more. And he said, love him. You can't love me unless you love him. So prayer will bring us always to the deepest truth. It brought my mother, it brought my father and mother to this deep truth. You know, I just remember the love that my father had for his daughter, disoriented, he, because when he found out she was going to die, he didn't tell anybody. He never told anybody till long, she almost was dead. My sister was going to die. They found out that she had Hodgkin's disease. And he thought he'd take all the burden himself. Disoriented love. He never told my mother that she was going to lose her daughter. He never told my sister that she was going to die. And a week before she died, he told me. And he said, I want you to tell her. So my father was a good man. What kind of death and dying is that? Anyway, I I helped her through the process of death and dying. Did she not even know? No, she never knew she was going to die. I told her because she wanted me to marry her. She thought she had fallen in love with this boy, and she said, "John, will you marry me?" And I never forget that night. I said, I can't marry you. She said, Would you marry when I finish high school? She was only 18. She had fallen in love with this boy from Pittsburgh. I said, I can't marry him. She said, Why? Because you're going to die. I don't even know why you're still living. And so when I told her this, she screamed crying. And I cried. We both cried terribly. And I prepared her, I anointed her, heard her confession, wanted to prepare her to die, because I didn't know if she'd be dead before I came back. Her birthday was the 24th, and when I came back to see her again, she was indeed dying. She was a few days away from death. She died, her birthday was the 24th of June, and she died on the 29th. She said, uh, the St. Peter told me he would let me in. I want to die. And But she said, I never told you this because I had had a heart attack three years before. And she had never said this to anybody. She said, when I heard that you could die, I went to St. Anthony's Church and I said to Jesus, Jesus, take my life and give me his. And that's when she got this disease. And I'm not sure if God does things that way. But he gave her three years of Hodgkin's disease that terminated her life. Take my life and give me his. Terrible prayer. But I think God heard it. I really do. 
I really believe he took her life. See, when someone loves you, they would give their life for you. Misguided love, maybe. But God heard her prayer and took her life. I have never had a heart. I had a heart attack. And that's why she said that. And I haven't had a heart attack. I've never had any heart trouble since. I'm 88 years old. That was 65 years ago. You introduced me to a, a, a Latin phrase earlier that was um, something about sharing a contemplative experience. What was that phrase? That it's, uh, it's so much beautiful. Oh, contemplata, Ali's Trotteret. To share what you have contemplated with others. Contemplata, Ali's Trotteret. So I think that that's what we are getting to experience now, and we thank you for that, Monsignor. If you're to look back over your life, what were some of those different moments where your, your contemplation shifted or grew deeper into Christ? I think uh, I would say in my plane crash, when I when I, in August of 15, 1970, 1968, I, I was over the host. And I said to Jesus, I would love to experience what you're going through. I was at a mass on the Feast of the Assumption. And I said to Jesus, all I want to do, if you would share with me your pain. As often as I said to my sister, don't ever ask for that. I myself prayed that. I prayed that. It was like, just came up to pray with and I prayed. And I got off the altar. I took off my vestments. And I went down to the down to the airport, got on a plane, and I was taken off to my next mission. And I flew that plane, and I was in a plane crash. The plane crashed at 12 o'clock because I looked up at the dashboard and it was 12 o'clock when the plane crashed. It was tremendous. It was under this equatorial heat. So I was suffering terribly. And I had this terrible pain on my shoulder. Some campesinos came and saw me in the plane. The plane didn't burn. And so I, I, uh, they, those who saw me later, my head went through the dashboard and it came back and they looked, it looked like I had a crown of thorns because I was all bloody. And I looked at the dashboard and it was 12 o'clock. And they said, <clears throat> 
They wanted to take me. I said, don't touch me. I have such pain in my shoulder. So they said, what can we do for you? I said, Thingo said, I'm thirsty. So they gave me something to drink. And it was so bitter, I spit it out. I remember that so clearly. And a, a search plane came and picked us up. And I was flown back to the Hospital Militar in Pura. And I, I was in such pain from that plane crash. I was just in tremendous pain. Um, I, and I was begging, begging for some kind of relief. And they said, how much money do you have? Because they wouldn't give me a shot unless I paid them for the, the money for the shot. And I reached back, I remember, and I took out my wallet and I gave them the 400 soles they asked for the shot. And then they gave me the shot. And I looked up at the clock, and it was three o'clock, when I had relief from that intense pain. I still have in the shoulder some damage from that. It always reminds me of that. That was a huge thing for me. That Jesus, every time, every priest offers Mass. That Jesus, every time, every Christian offers Mass, is crucified. And carries a cross. And uh, I think I was allowed to touch. That's what I asked him for. Let me experience a little bit of what you're going through. I wasn't Padre Pio. But I was just a little bit of what God wanted me to experience. That's very significant for me. He answers your prayer. Always. Always. What would be advice that you would give to someone that wants to learn how to pray? Be careful what you ask for. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you to what you ask for, but don't be afraid, because God has a plan for each of us, and he sees everything about you and wants you to be fulfilled in every part of yourself. He has a plan. I think one of the scriptures that always have touched me is Jeremiah 29, 11 to 14, that I have a plan for you right from the moment that you're born. And I want to fulfill that plan. And my plan for you is love. If you will let me do with you what I have planned for you, you will be fulfilled. 
not to be afraid. That whatever suffering and pain that you have to go through in order to fulfill that, do not be afraid. And how about for somebody who maybe has been praying all their life and finds a block? You know, people will often say to me, I don't hear God. I would say, um, ask God to help you listen. I think it's not so much that he's not speaking to you. It's that you're not listening. When you're not hearing God, it's because the noise around you is so terrible and you yourself have been so in the noise, you know, the devil wants to create a lot of confusion to many of you who may be hearing this. But God wants to talk to you. And sometimes he has a hard time getting us in a place and a situation where you will listen. I would ask each one who is listening, who wants to hear God, why don't you take time for silence, for a retreat, for solitude, to listen to God? So many of us are afraid of the silence. Be alone with God. We are afraid of solitude. We are terrified of silence. And as we go into the silence and the solitude, you will always hear him. Can you explain or articulate what your, what's the Father like for you? And what's the Son like? And what's the Holy Spirit like? How would you describe your relationship with that? Each of us, if you're a Catholic Christian, or if you're Protestant or Orthodox, you were baptized into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is a trinity. God is your Father. You are his child. Man or woman, you're his daughter or his son. So as he looks at you, he wants so much to talk to you, and he loves you. The most unheard truth about the gospel is the divine love. I don't care what you've done or who you are or where you are. God loves you. Where you are, who you are, and in any circumstance in your life. There's nothing you could do to escape the divine love. He knows you. He created everything about you. And there's nothing you could tell God that he doesn't know. And so infatuated and crazy as he is about you, he sends, now this is absolutely amazing, his only son, his only son, to become one of our human nature, Jesus. 
to become one of us, to become a half-animal for us. Can you imagine God? The relationship between a human and a bug is less than the relationship between God and a human. But God so loved us that he sent his only begotten son to become a human, and his name is Jesus. And he suffered and died and rose for me, for you. And when you begin to experience and taste that love, that is not only the thing he did. He, Jesus suffered and died and rose for me. And then he went back to heaven. He didn't just directly touch you. He went back, and you know what he did? He sent the Holy Spirit. And for you who are baptized, he became one with you. He became Jesus for you. That's who you are. So when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see you anymore. He sees his Son. That's the love of God. In prayer, the Trinity is so essential to our prayer. This God of ours is a Father, and his Son is Jesus, and the Spirit has come upon you to transform you into Jesus. That's who you are. You have become Jesus. So, in this transformation that you are, whatever you've done, I don't know what you've done. I alcohol, drugs, pornography. What, what, what is there? What is there that you've done that's so bad? He looks at you and sees you and loves you with infinite love never letting you go, pursuing you with infinite love. Our God wants you to know I love you. And so, so many people, I think, fail to recognize the central truth. God loves me. I am his son, his daughter. And he loves me as I am. And whatever screw-up I have done, anything at all, he sees me, he knows it all, and he loves me. And he wants me as I am. So when you cry out to him, he's always there, 24-7, day or night, your whole life. He has been there. You think Whatever age you are, you know, you might be, I'm 88, you're whatever you are. I have loved you ever since that seed fertilized that egg. And I blew into you that soul. That's who you are to me. I made you. I love you. And I redeemed you. You are mine. I are, I'm, you're precious to me. That's who I am. I am God. 
I am your God, and you are mine, and you are precious to me. What's the relationship like with Mary? Well, you know, the whole world, she was a Jewish girl, and her whole, she, she read all the prophets, she read all the history, she knew Moses, she knew everybody, Abraham, the whole story. Mary knew the whole schmear. So she just knew not all that was coming down the pike. But when the angel came to her, she's finally realized, I'm the Anawim. There is only one that is faithful. And when God came to her, it, she suddenly realized, God kept saying, there will be an Anawim, there will be an Anawim. There will be someone who will remain faithful. That was her. But how did he make her? He created her immaculately. She was conceived when Joachim and Anne had relations. They're the grandparents of Jesus. When they had relations, right from the first second of her conception, she was conceived immaculate. She had a pure nature. So Mary was, she's the Anawim. God had promised there would be an Anawim, and that was it. She was it. She was conceived immaculate from the moment of her conception because she was going to give, in anticipation of our Savior, her flesh to the Son of Man. And when at 14 God approaches her, he says, I want you to be the mother of my son. Then she had this perfect nature, human nature, to give to the divine son. And that's what happened with her. My love of Mary is her receptivity. What she's learned, she's the only one who had this of our whole human nature. Be it done to me according to your word. No one ever said that to God the way she did. All of us get fumbling, and I know when God asks me for something, well, you know, maybe, and then I eventually give in. All of us sin before we say yes. She just simply said yes. Now, all of us now in Christ have the power to say yes because of her. She is the one who saved us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So that she's like the doorway. She was the one through whom we went and she's our mother of eternal life. She real to you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Talk a little bit about that for someone that may not experience Mary as being a real presence. What, what is that like? I remember Mother Teresa used to say to me, why don't you consecrate yourself to the Blessed Mother? No, I said, you know, Mother, I really have a great devotion to Jesus. Jesus is my Savior. So, I 
just resisted all that for a long, long time. And she kept saying, she said, you know, John Paul II totally consecrated himself to Mary. I said, no, Mother, I love Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ loves me. He's my Savior. I don't have to go through her. She kept after me. And here's what happened to me. This is the true story. At the, her canonization, I never consecrated myself to Mary. Well, there I was at the beatification of Mother Teresa in 2005. And here's this old pope slurping. And he's just about moving. And he, she kept telling me, he gave himself totally to Mary. And now here she is up on the Vatican wall, beatified. I thought, <laughs> you know, here you are, John Essef. What the hell have you done to get close to Jesus? Why don't you just give in to Mary? Why don't you just, that was the, that came to me at her beatification. I said, okay, Mary, you can take over everything with me. I know now there's probably no better way to do it. I have done it my way. Now I want to do it your way. And I meant it. I give everything over to you. All of my graces, all of my strengths, all of my virtues. Because I, I'm a priest and I had a lot, but I gave them to her. You know, it was such, I can't tell you, the transformation. Almost a minute that I did that, I began to see Jesus in an entirely new light. It was like I saw him through the eyes of his mother. Who loved him more than I did? Mary. And I began to see everything about him in an entirely new way. The way she would look at him I was beginning to see the way she would listen to the events of his life. I began to slowly become aware of. It was like I began to see the Son of God through the eyes of his mother. It was an entirely new vision, like she gave me a new lens just to look at him, to look at Jesus. And when she gave me that, she gave me how she saw me, because that's who I am. That's who I am to her. How did she see you? Tenderly, sweetly, gently. See, I thought I had to be so tough to be her son. As I am a warrior type. No, that's not who he is. He is like a child. Simple. 
humble. As I began to grow in this awareness, I remember one day, right after this, I, re I was giving a retreat down in Baltimore, right outside of Baltimore. I was giving a retreat to the newly ordained, and I was getting a call. I'll just demonstrate what I mean. Uh, and I thought, my God, I'm getting a sore throat. And when I get a sore throat, as soon as I get a sore throat, I'm going to get a terrible cold. That's the way it happens. It's always been that way. My sore, if I get a sore throat, I'm going to get a, so I started to get a sore throat. And I went to the, uh, rector and I said, do you have any medication here for, uh, any kind of flu symptoms? He said, no. Uh, you know, I, I, we don't have any. So, I went and I realized I, that I had nothing there that I could get. So then I said to, our, to Mary, Mary, what would you recommend? Because I had now had this familiarity with her. I said, what would you recommend? She said, John, why don't you gargle with warm water and salt? And that was something my mother had told me to do when I was a little boy. So it was easy to get salt, and it was easy to get the warm water, and I gargled four or five times, and honestly, the sore throat disappeared. So when the sore throat disappeared, and I get up maybe two or three days later, and I'm shaving, and then I say to Mary, Mary, you know, I hate shaving. Uh, is there something you can do about this? Because I, I cut myself, and sometimes my hand shakes a little, and I cut myself. What Can you help me with this? Well, she said to me, you know, John, I really don't know much about shaving. My men never shave. And I said, well, what do you mean by that, Mary? She said, well, why don't you just let your beard grow? And that's when I started to grow a beard. And I always call this my Marian beard. I never had a beard before that. And that's how I started the beard. But my beard always reminds me of Mary. So, you know, people say, did you always have a beard? No. But when I got my devotion to Mary, I thought Jesus and Joseph always had beards. So it brought me closer to that relationship. But the relationship is human, simple. It's so simple. It's a relationship. She's my mother. I'm her son. That's my devotion. And she cares, and she loves me. And everything in my life that affects me, she's aware of. And I go to her. And it's very simple. And that kind of might be a story that I have that tells a little bit about how I, I, I don't have anything that I do on a daily basis that I don't relate to her. 
share with her and talk to her about, you know, what about this and what about that? Like today, different things that I would tell my mother. You know, have your son do this or that. Prayer is intimacy. It's intimate relationship. I am Jesus. Relationship with my father. When I wake up in the morning, he's the first thought of my life. I'm his son. His spirit is very with me. And he wants me to live a life of peace. Any last encouragement you would give to somebody who wants to experience God for real or in a deeper way? When you experience in your heart desire, that comes from God. All desire is from God. That longing that you have within yourself, trust that. When I was with Mother Teresa, she was, uh, she, I remember she said to me, she said, I want you to teach my sisters about the love of God as a spouse. I said, well, can I tell you this, Mother? I don't see Jesus as my spouse. I don't, I don't have that same attraction as a woman, because a woman sees Jesus that way. But he is my spouse. I love Jesus as a man loves a woman. But that spousal relationship, I have to see in a different way. So I see him, that, that Jesus in me. I see I am him. And my father is my father. And he loves me. And because he loves me, he wants me to love the ones he loves. And that becomes my spouse. Just like the father loves Jerusalem, and the Jerusalem is the spouse of God. He talks about, the father talks about Jerusalem in a way of a spousal relationship. You are my espoused. As a, as a, as a virgin, as, as a, I marry a daughter, so I marry you. And he had that relationship. There's that very famous prophet, Hosi, who married a harlot. And the harlot and Osi, because he kept, she kept being a harlot to him, but he couldn't stop loving her. He continued just to love her and love her. And so God loves Jerusalem 
Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. So God loves who? The people of God. Not just the Jews, but the people of God. He loves us. God is crazy about us. So when he loves us, what I see is me as Jesus in the world. And I am crazy about people. And I love people. The people of God. They don't know that love that God has for them. So what God has done in my heart has given me the heart of a spouse for the people of God. That's the love of God. See, God has love for his people. And when that love burns, burns, and longs inside, how do I know that? How do I know that? Because that's the love he has for me. If only the people of God could see the love of God, they would burn with the love. It's the Father's love. That is most unknown in the world today. The Father's love. It's the love of the child. If, we, if I could know how a child loves the Father, then I believe that I would be able to teach people how to love. The love of Jesus for the Father is, the, is what prayer is all about. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's blazing. If you want to be in this process of prayer, it's fire. It's absolute blazing fire. You will enter into the furnace of love. Because to love God is the greatest power and the greatest experience on earth. It's eros, it's phylos, it's agape. It's everything. It's totally it's complete. What do those words mean for listeners that might not know? It's, you know, there's no erotic love greater. It's a consuming erotic love. It's a consuming brotherly and sisterly love. And it's a consuming sacrificial love. When, when Paul 
and you know I I have this image on my my altar of the icon of what Teresa of Avila called the bridegroom. It's the crucified Jesus, scourged and crowned and beaten. She calls that the bridegroom. Archbishop Sheen used to say the cross is the bridal chamber. It's spousal love. When you are willing to be crucified, And it doesn't hurt. I love the image of Jesus on the cross, smiling. I love, I love Peter, eventually, when he dies. What the hell? You can't hurt me. Crucify me upside down. I'm not afraid anymore. You're totally free. When you're a crucified lover. You don't care. Just don't care anymore about anything except love. And you want everyone to experience it. Well, thank you for your time and for sharing with us. Could we have your blessing? God, our Father, I pray that anyone who hears this will experience a call to love God, the Father, to recognize that they have that power within them to be Jesus and that the Holy Spirit is so eager to be that flame of love and Mary our mother pray that this whole world becomes consumed with that love Father Son